Folks, this is uh, Ryan Minner, Miller, and uh, he just sang his testimony. And now he's going to share his testimony. Go ahead, brother. Uh, that was harder than I thought it would be. Um. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Ryan Miller. Um, I've been a member here at Northwest with my wife, Kathleen, for a little over six years. Uh, we were both baptized here. And I hope that my four children will also be baptized here. Um, when I was first asked to share my testimony, uh, my initial reaction was, nope. <laughs> no, no one wants to hear that. Uh, no one wants to hear about the bad things I've done or, or uh, the mistakes I've made, but, because most of them already know. Um, but my loving and wonderful wife reminded me that there are people struggling all over the world and in this church. And they might not have the same struggles that I did, but maybe uh, hearing how, about how the power of Jesus worked in and through me uh, might encourage them to surrender uh, to his amazing and powerful plan for them and accept his grace and mercy for the sins in their lives. So I was born in, I'm going to keep tapping that, sorry, it's going to get annoying probably. I was born in West Texas uh, to an oil and gas accountant and an elementary school teacher. Uh, the youngest of two boys. Uh, I think my father was fairly, a fairly typical dad of that generation. Um, he worked really hard uh, to provide for his family, but uh, he really enjoyed his sports and, his, and drinking beers with his buddies. Um, my mother was a kind woman uh, who loved her kids, both her biological ones and her school children, uh, and faithfully took my brother and I to church every Sunday, even if dad didn't go because the Cowboys kicked off early. Uh, the early years of my childhood were fairly normal, as far as I can remember. When I was about seven, uh, my, mother, mm, my mother was diagnosed with uh, a pretty aggressive breast cancer and had a double mastectomy and a pretty aggressive chemotherapy treatment. Um, it took a lot of her strength and a lot of her hair, but not... Not her smile. I remember helping her pick out wigs. And uh, she gave me a huge hug because I told her that she was the prettiest mama ever. I also remember helping her walk from the bedroom to the living room on the, on the days when the chemo was hitting her particularly hard. I didn't recognize it at the time, but my father started going out more and more with his buddies, drinking more and more beers. And uh, my parents started arguing more and more often. My mother eventually went into remission, um, and my father cut down his drinking, so life returned back to normal for a few years, for around five years. Uh, and when I was 12, my mother uh, sat my brother and I down and, and told us that her cancer had come back. And within a couple months, she was admitted to the hospital and eventually passed away on December 9th, 1993. I remember a few distinct things about that time. I remember how yellow and, and small she looked in that bed. I remember my dad arguing with everyone, from the doctors and nurses to my mother to my grandparents. Uh, I remember he always smelled like mint. I remember my brother and my, and my mother were very mad at him and would hardly speak to him. 
Uh, and I was angry. I remember I was very angry. I was angry at God. I was angry at, at my father. I was angry uh, that, that God would take my mother from me at, at such a young age, and I needed her. And I remember angrily telling him that I'd, I'd leave him alone if he'd leave me alone. Later I realized that my dad always smelled like mint uh, because he was trying to cover up the alcohol in his breath. I realized that my, my mother and my brother were angry with him because they knew how much he was drinking and he wouldn't stop after they confronted him. And I realized that I was so angry with God because I didn't want a God who would kill my mother or take my mom away. I didn't want a God who would make my dad an alcoholic. Around that time, a friend of mine introduced me to marijuana. At the time, I refused to drink alcohol because of my dad. Uh, I thought that uh, that, w that was bad, but that marijuana was okay. I was a kid. Uh, I st started smoking marijuana as often as I could and eventually started drinking with it as well. My grades, my sports, my extracurricular activities suffered. Uh, I I, and I remained as angry as I had been on that December morning in 93. When I went to college, I thought I would clean myself up. Uh, because I'd be out of the house and I wouldn't have to deal with my dad. And uh, ironically, right before the spring semester of my freshman year, he got sober and stayed that way. Uh, and I started getting worse. Uh, unfortunately, the, the years of, of drinking had taken a toll on his body and he was diagnosed with several health conditions, one of them being Parkinson's disease. Now, around that time, I dropped out uh, of, of college and moved back in with him uh, and, and started to help him uh, in any way I could. Uh, and I admitted I was an alcoholic and sought help through a 12-step program. I attempted to get my life back on track and, and I did it for a time with the help of that 12-step program, but I was still angry with God. My dad's health continued to deteriorate and eventually my stepmother decided to move him to Colorado for this specialized treatment they had available for him. And I went with him for a time, but eventually came back to Oklahoma City to try to rebuild my life sober and drug-free. Uh, I got a job at a men's clothing store, and this really cute girl started working there with me. I remember the first day I met her. She came around the corner and almost ran me over. My first thought was, this girl's going to be trouble. And boy, was she. <laughs> now, over 12 years later, she's still with me, despite what happened next. At some time before we got married, I decided that I wasn't actually an alcoholic and that I could drink like a normal person in moderation. And then I began to binge drink more and more often. And in October of 2009, when my father passed away from complications related to his Parkinson's disease, my drinking became intolerable. I once again needed help, and the Lord, as always, provided but I was still angry with them. With both my parents gone before I turned 30 and my brother, who I hadn't really had a relationship with for several years, God provided me with a new family through my marriage to Kathleen. For whatever reason, they loved me enough to pay for an opportunity for me to go to a Christ-based rehabilitation center outside of Mott, Oklahoma. And I spent 90 days, 90 days there in the Word Surrounded by like-minded men who were searching just like I was. And I stopped being angry with God. 
I stopped because my wife echoed words that had been told to her. God's big enough for your anger. He can handle it. <clears throat> he can handle it. I wish I could say that at that moment I repented and became a, a new man, but I didn't. I would do better for a while, and then I would slide back into old behaviors. For several years, this pattern kept repeating to the point where my wife and I separated and almost got a divorce. At my lowest points, I would cry out to God and ask for his help, willing to do anything in order to get out of whatever hole I dug myself into. When things got better, I'd start to congratulate myself on the good works I had done. And when things were really good, I forgot about God's grace and mercy and relied solely on my own understanding. And when I eventually failed again, I would turn to God to fix everything. It really wasn't until I got involved with this church family that I started to see what Christ working in other people's lives looked like. And it wasn't until I started diving back into his word that I realized that throughout all those years when I was angry with God, he never stopped loving me. He never stopped waiting for me to come to him. And when I finally decided that I'd had enough of doing things my way, he was right there to show me how to do it his way. And not just through his word, but through his church. Through the way you all showed me love in practical ways. But through the community that surrounded us and, and loved on our kids and helped us grieve when we lost our baby Emma in March of 2020. Through the truth of the gospel that's preached from this pulpit every Sunday. I think that missing piece, the body of Christ, is what finally helped me surrender to his will and stop falling back into that terrible cycle. I watched how he worked in your lives, and I remembered that, he had done, that I had done nothing but fail when I was in control. I needed his help, but I also needed your help. And I think that works for all of us. We can, all do, we can do all things through him who gives us strength. And I think one of the ways he gives us strength is through our fellowship with his church. It helped me find encouragement, accountability, and good examples of what being a Christ follower looks like. So I'm grateful to our Father who is the ultimate healer of broken people, but also to this church family for showing me how to love, <clears throat> for showing me the love of Christ in all that you do. Thank you. takes a lot of guts to do that. Uh, I'm going to pray with this family right now. Join me. Father, we thank you for the Millers. We thank you for their, their love for you. We thank you for um, rescuing them. We thank you for Ryan being bold enough to share his testimony this morning. We just pray your protection over them. You guide and direct them and lead them. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a testimony. It's children's church. So uh, if you're pre-K through third grade, Miss Hope would love to take you upstairs and hear the gospel 
in your own language. Um, when God's people testify to the goodness and the grace of God in their life, um, there's nothing like it. I can remember when Josh Wells got up here. Josh is somewhere in here. And shared his testimony. And uh, Ryan sharing his today. Um, Man, what a testimony of God's grace. God's favor upon his people. His church. um, That the Lord is good. Man, we have been seeing the testimony of the church and the advancement of the church throughout the book of Acts. And this morning we get to hear another testimony of God's faithfulness and his goodness as the, as the church and the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. I think through studying this book, we're in chapter 16, so we're more than halfway done now. But as, as we study this book, I can... I'm reminded that God's people are not perfect. The church is not perfect, but God is using even the most difficult situations in our life and in our church for his glory and for the advancement of the gospel to move to the ends of the earth. It's for his good and our good too. He's thwarting the enemy's schemes. God is showing himself faithful. Our our God is faithful. Amen? Uh, And this morning we're going to see Paul and Silas locked up in an inner jail cell. And you, you may be feeling as if you're in the inner jail cell locked up with no way out. And yet God is right there as, as Ryan just testified this morning too. You may feel as if you're up against the mountain and the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is coming for you. And yet our God has shown throughout his word that he wins. The book of Revelation describes the victory of Christ. His gospel will go to the ends of the earth and the people will respond to this God and his spirit In this case, the story that we're about to read is about a skeptic. It's about the jailer. The guy who is least likely to believe is rocked by the power of God and the grace of God's people. Let's pray for that. As we read this story, the power of God and the grace of God's people to impact our city like it did In the city of Philippi, this is the response to the spirit of the living God. If you'll open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, verse 25, we'll read that together. We stand in the reading of God's word, and so if you'll stand with us in reading Acts chapter 16, verse 25, if you'll open your Bibles, we will read from God's word together in the book of Acts. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. 
supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights. He rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of God to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them in the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household. That they had believed in God. Amen. Let us rejoice this morning. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your spirit would speak to us this morning in a way. And Father, in which you would convict our hearts. That you would help us to see your beauty and your grace. And Father, help us to open our eyes. To see who you are. Your greatness and your goodness. Your kindness. Your love your steadfast love for us that we may be transformed by the power of God and the gospel of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are embarking on a journey. I don't know if you know this, but this Thursday, nine of us will leave for North Africa and we will be sharing with um, Muslims um, in a world that is desperate for the gospel. Um, and one of the greatest ways to share with people is through stories and storytelling. Jesus uses this as he shares parables, earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And uh, I actually came up with a parable one time um, to share in people's homes. And I've shared this um, all across the world and, and many mission trips. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice up for you guys so that you hear this parable. But I think it relates to the story that we are um, studying this morning. It's a story of, of two brothers. And uh, the younger brother, he has no fear of God. He does whatever pleases him at the time. And therefore he's a drunkard, a thief, a liar. He even treats women Poorly, He takes whatever he wants when he wants it because he lives for himself. This is the younger brother described. And one day in a, in a bar, he becomes angry with a man and he strikes him, killing him on the spot. And the man is placed into a prison and he, he goes to face the judge. And when he walks into the courtroom, he sees the judge, and the judge, when he realizes and sees the face of the judge, it is his older brother. The older brother was a good and just judge. He's a righteous man, a man who fears God, who did what was right. And the younger brother thought to himself, my, my brother, will, he will let me go. I won't have to pay for my wrong and my sin because he, he loves me. But the older brother, being good and just, and the judge said before 
the younger brother, because you have killed a man, you must pay for the penalty for your actions. Therefore, you will be judged accordingly to what you have done, and you will receive what you have earned, which is the death penalty. The younger brother was furious, yelling at his older brother, what, what you don't really love me? You, have, you, you hate me. How could you do this to me? In his prison cell, the day before he was to be executed, the older brother went to visit the younger brother in the prison. The younger brother wanted nothing to do with him, didn't want to talk to him, was furious that he made a judgment against him. He said, you really don't love me. You don't care for me. And the older brother said, I do, brother. I do care for you and I love you. But there must be payment for your wrongdoing and your sin. He said, I will show you my love for you. He said, quick, let us switch clothes and because our faces look alike and I, I will take your place in this cell. And the younger brother switched clothes. He walked out of the jail as the guards thought he was the good judge. The next day, around 8 a.m., the younger brother thought to himself, I was to be executed, yet I am free. He began to count down the clock towards 8 a.m. Three, two, one. He began to yell out in a loud voice, freedom. And as soon as he began to yell, he heard a gunshot in the distance. He ran to the edge of the hill to see what had happened. It was supposed to be him. Who was shot? And he looked over the hill and he saw his older brother who had taken his place. The payment of sin had been paid. You see, this parable gives a glimpse of the love that Christ had for us as the good judge who would give his life on a cross for mankind, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. But in this story, in the story that we read this morning in the parable that I just shared you, what is the response? What is the response of the younger brother? How does he live? What does he change? How does he respond to that kind of love? In the parable of the prodigal son, the son now lives knowing the extravagant grace offered from the, from the father. And then the question is asked, how must we respond to this extravagant grace. You see, the jailer in this story that we just read in the book of Acts had been placed Paul and Silas into the deep prison after receiving beatings, placing their feet in stocks. The power of God is seen. It was this jailer's responsibility to not allow the prisoners to escape, and if they did, it was his life. He was to be killed. And now the doors are open, the chains are unfastened. 
Paul and Silas and the prisoners could have walked out of the prison. Yet they stayed. And they say, we are all here. You see, God showed this jailer extreme grace. He was brought to his knees by the power of God and the grace of God's people to say, what must I do to be saved? Remember in this Acts chapter 16, there are three different types of people that God has called Paul and Silas They've received this vision to come over to Macedonia and now they meet Lydia, the religious person seeking after God and the Lord opens her heart to respond to the gospel. She's baptized, her whole family is baptized. Last week we talked about the slave girl who was in bondage both physically and spiritually, demon possession and the name of Christ sets her free and now... And now the owners of this little girl have lost their income, they've lost their money maker. And they drag Paul through the streets and in the marketplace and the crowd joins in, they tear their clothes off them and they beat them. Look at verse 23. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And this is the backdrop that begins verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. This is verse 25 and 26. We get our first point this morning, and it's this. God's people rejoice always. God's people rejoice always. It says here, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Not necessarily the best place to, to begin singing. We, we heard Ryan sing his testimony earlier. God's peoples rejoice always. How, how can God's people always rejoice? After they've been beaten, locked up in chains. I'm sure that many of you have gone through a lot this last year. How can we rejoice in what we're going through today? You may say, it, it, it's, it's not easy for me to rejoice today. Well, let me tell you how we can rejoice as God's people, his church. Because we are children of the living God. Because we are his church, the bride of Christ because we have been forgiven, because we have been set free from the bondage of sin, because we do not fear death, 
because we have been given eternal life, because the spirit of the living God dwells within us, because Jesus has prepared a place for us, because he has already written the end, because he's coming again, and when he comes again, he'll be riding a white horse, conquering and defeating the enemy. Revelation tells us this. We can rejoice because the King of kings and the Lord of lords hung on a cross taking the wrath of God so that we could be at peace with God. Your circumstances, this does not change that. If you have no money or lots of money, doesn't change that. If you have a pretty wife or no wife at all, it doesn't change that. If you're in the penthouse or the outhouse, if you're locked up or you're put up, guess what? It doesn't change it. God's people rejoice because their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. God's people rejoice always. Amen? 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Then he adds a little caveat, do not quench the spirit, right? Guess what? Non-rejoicing does, quenches the spirit. Rejoice. Paul says to the Philippian church in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, Paul can say that, right? He can say that to his church when he is rejoicing in the prison cell. Paul and Silas are singing hymns to God as their feet are locked up in stocks, having been beaten and naked. They're praying to God, and guess who is listening? The prisoners, the jailer. But Lord, wasn't I doing what you called me to do? Wasn't I taking the gospel to Macedonia? Wasn't I proclaiming to the ends of the earth? Now you got me in this prison in the inner cell? No, God has a plan in all things. Even in the most difficult situations in your life. One of the best characters of all time is Eeyore. You guys know who that is? Winnie the Pooh, right? Eeyore, woe's me, (laughs) right? I guess that's just the way it is. No, that's not how it is for God's people. God's people are not Eeyore. They are filled with the spirit of the living God and they rejoice in their God in any circumstance. If nothing else is going right, they rejoice in the goodness and the grace of God that they are children of the living God. But Romans 8, 28, it says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. All things. That means in the middle of the prison cell, in the inner prison with a locked up having been beaten, God is working for the good. That means Stephen 
when he is martyred. God is working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The worst thing in your life right now, God has something he wants to teach you through it. He has something he wants to show to someone else. God is working that horrible circumstance to show his power and might and ultimately he will receive glory through it because he will overcome it. One of my favorite verses of all time is 2 Corinthians 4.16. It says this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Guess what? Our outer self is wasting away. It is. But this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I didn't know Kelly was going to be here this morning, but Bob passed away this week and um, his funeral will be Wednesday at one o'clock. I hope you join us for that. It will be a celebration of his life. And um, one of his sayings was this, this isn't it. That's what he said. This isn't it. Referring to this broken world not being the end all. You know what? The inner prison wasn't it, right? Inner prison was usually the lowest part of the building not the place that you wanted to be is disgusting. In fact, all the, all the stuff, right, ran down into the lowest place of the building. It was dark and dank. Your feet are in stocks. You don't think of modern stocks. You see at Williamsburg where, where you and your sister put your head in them and you take a picture. That's not what we're talking about. Roman stocks were chained, suspended from the ceiling. They lay you on your back with hooks into your ankles and the clamps and put you upside down. Unbelievably painful. And they're singing to God. And at that moment, the earth begins to shake. God brings the earthquake. He had used an angel before to help his disciples escape. Now he's using natural means. God controls the earth and nature and all that is in it. Causes the earthquake to shake, to break open the doors, the bonds to be set free. Look at verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped, but Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is our second point this morning, it's thus. 
Seeing the grace of God displayed through God's people changes the way people see the gospel. Seeing the grace of God displayed through God's people allows them to see the gospel. Who's this jailer, you ask? Well, jailers were often highly decorated Roman soldiers, oftentimes as a retirement gift. They were given these jails to run. This is their retirement. They, they run the jail. They have a place to stay next to the jail, provide for their family. They, they've been at battle and war for the, for the Roman Empire for a number of years. This man was probably most likely an older gentleman, hardened by war, fighting for the Roman army for most of his life, part of the ruling class, and I'm sure maybe a bit cynical. In Oklahoma City, I, I ask people a lot of questions about the gospel, and they're probably a lot like this man. Let me do my job. Let me take care of my family. Don't give me this religion stuff. I don't need it. The question I like to answer for people, even if they don't ask it, is why do I need Jesus? Right? This is maybe what this man is asking. I have a house, I have this job, I got lots of money, I put my head down, do my business, I'm good. Even He may be even a bit miffed or annoyed that Paul and Silas are so outward spiritually. People may be a bit miffed and annoyed at me when I talk to them about spiritual things. And what happens? God shows his power through the earthquake. It literally shakes him to the point of wanting to commit suicide. Everything he had worked for, his job, his house, his income, is in one moment gone. The prison doors are open. The prisoners no longer bound. Now the government is coming for him. We see in scripture, even in the book of Acts, that if they let them out of prison, it's their head. So instead of suffering the humiliation He's going to end it. And this is where he sees the grace of God from God's people. Do no harm for yourself, for we are all here. Some, somehow Paul and Silas kept everyone in the prison. I think everyone in the prison was probably now attentive to hear what they had to say. But they've been praying all night. For God to show up and he shows up and they're freed. And now they're looking to Paul and Silas. And this man now falls to his knees and asks the question, what must I do to be saved? It's a beautiful picture of the impact of God's people showing others grace. Just think about this. They had been beaten. They're locked up by this man. And now he is a recipient of a merited favor. We are all here. No one has escaped. We could have. But we didn't do so. So that you would be spared. 
You see, there are two types of people that I see in this story. The first person is the person who extends the grace of God like Paul and Silas. It's giving the tip when the waitress hasn't treated you well at all. It's a smile when the person who cuts you off. It's a kind word to your spouse who hasn't said a kind word to you in a minute. It's a snuggle with your child, even if they've hurt you badly. It's working hard for your boss, even when he has berated you. It's a gospel on display. People are listening. They're watching. And God is going to give you, the people of God, his church, opportunities in this broken world. Trust me, there are plenty. The second person is the recipient of this extravagant grace. The person who is rocked because they have seen the gospel on the display. They have encountered such a display of love like the younger brother or the jailer that their only response is to change their mind. It's repentance. It is faith. All the cynicism washes away and now God is real and alive and now the gospel is tangible. They can feel it. They can taste it. The good news of Christ and the grace offered to them brings them to their knees and they say, what must I do to be saved? You see, the jailer isn't talking about what must I do to be saved from you. No, he's talking about what must I do to be saved from an almighty, powerful, holy God who is coming for you. The wrath of God. What can I do to be saved from the wrath of God who punishes sin? The good judge. Paul gives it to him right here. He said, believe. Verse 31, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized that once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed in God. This is point number three this morning. It's this. Baptism declares our faith in Christ. Baptism declares our faith in Christ. God's people rejoice. God's people display the gospel. And the response to God is obedience in displaying the gospel. The first obedience and display of the gospel is baptism. You're identifying that, that you are dead and now you live in Christ. That your sins are gone. That you're washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus. You are a child of God. We see over and over in Acts, baptism declaring one's faith in Christ. There's many examples where baptism happens right after conversion. This is one of those. Pentecost, Ethiopian eunuch, Saul, Cornelius, Lydia, now the Philippian jailer and his household, they're baptized. They hear the gospel, they respond, and they're baptized. They display, they identify as a Christ follower. They display the gospel in their life. It's a public declaration of faith. If you haven't been baptized, let's get baptized. We do it right now. I'm serious. (laughs) 
It identifies one with Christ, that you are now a new creation. You are dead and now live with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The jailer shows immediate fruit, expressing genuine love when he washes the wounds of Paul and Silas. He shows hospitality, inviting them into his home and feeding them. This is a a changed man, immediately. And and, and my, my favorite, my favorite, and he rejoiced. Right? The same joy that Paul and Silas had knowing that they are children of God now comes upon the jailer. He rejoiced. Along with his entire household that he had believed in God. God's people have joy because they are saved. From the wrath of God, they don't fear death, they don't fear sin. This world is a light momentary affliction preparing for the eternal weight of glory. You see, the church in Philippi was born from a businesswoman who sold purple cloth, a possessed young woman who was a fortune teller, and a cynical jailer who now has joy. You see, God would use what Satan meant for evil And use it for good. You say, does God do this today? Does he? Does this really happen in our world? There's a documentary. I encourage you to, uh, to see it. Uh, probably not with your little kids, but you can see it. It's called The Insanity of God. It tells the stories of the persecuted church all over the world. The recent stories for the last 20 years persecuted church and ask the question is it worth it is it worth it to believe in God Paul and Silas certainly had to ask that question is it worth it for us to be beaten for our faith and our in the gospel there's a story in the sanity of God of a of, of man named Dimitri and Dimitri is in a closed country meaning they don't they're not allowed to share the gospel Dimitri gathered his family together to tell them stories about God and Some of the neighbors heard about these stories. Pretty soon, there were more and more people coming until there was 150 people that came and gathered to hear the word of God, to hear the stories about this God, to hear the hope of Christ. The authorities would not allow this to continue, and they came and they took Dimitri away, and they threw him in prison. 1,500 hardened criminals And as was Dimitri's custom every morning, Dimitri would stand at the front of his cell and he would begin to sing his heart song to God. The other prisoners hated him for this. They clanged the bars and yelled choice words in his direction, throwing everything that they had. Every day this would happen as Dimitri would rise early in the morning 
and he would sing his heart song to the Lord. He even took multiple beatings for this when he would write scripture on pieces of paper that he found just to make sure that he was memorizing the word of God in his heart and his mind. This happened for 17 years. Dimitri became very weary and thought to himself, if I just renounce God, they will let me out. I can be with my family and be out of this place. Yet God gave him a dream, a dream that his family was safe, that God was with him and his family. And it came time for Dimitri to be executed and he stood upon his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They began to drag Dimitri out of his cell when the guards heard a loud and boisterous sound that began emanating from the prison. The other prisoners were singing Dimitri's heart song unto the Lord. The soldiers backed away and said, who are you? Dimitri proudly told them, I'm a son of the living God, and Jesus is his name. Shortly after this, Dimitri was released and returned to his family. It's a recent story. It's not 2,000 years ago. It's recent. God is moving among his people all over the world. Let us respond to the spirit of the living God in our hearts and minds. In a moment, you're gonna hear from one of our IMB missionaries that served, and uh, I hope that this will bring you to a response for you. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this time. If you have any questions about what it means to be saved, please come and talk to me or one of our pastors. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for allowing us to be called your church, that we will rejoice always because of what you have given to us. Thank you for this story this morning that it reminds us that we are to show extravagant grace to others because you have shown extravagant grace to us. Lord, help us to display our faith in ways in which people can see who you are, the beauty of the gospel, and how much we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.